What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 10. Josh Bird. His daughters inspired him to lose over 200 pounds, and now he's paying it forward with research and education. When it's dinner time, I got something you should try. It's crunchy, green, and yummy, and it's about to blow your mind. It's low on calories, and it looks like mini trees. When you're having dinner with me, broccoli. Dr. Yami Kazorla-Lancaster, board-certified pediatrician, certified food for life cooking and nutrition instructor, certified well coach, and passionate promoter of the power of diet and lifestyle in preventing and reversing chronic disease and bringing joy and longevity into our lives. This podcast is focused on plant-based nutrition, habit formation, behavior change, and motivation so that you can have the tools to live the best life possible. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and I hope that you keep coming back as a regular listener. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Today, I have with me Josh Bird, who lives in Lincoln, Nebraska. Josh is currently in graduate school, working towards his PhD in childhood development, and I heard him on Jason Cohen's podcast, Big Change the Film talking about his over 200 pound weight loss and I just got so inspired by Josh and the work he's doing, the work he wants to do in the future and all the work he's put into losing weight, maintaining weight and raising a healthy family. Josh, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thanks for having me. Um, It's a pleasure. Josh, I'm wondering if you could give us a brief synopsis of your story, how you came to lose the weight, and where you are now. Sure. Um, when I was a kid, I was, I was overweight, and uh, as I said before, I was four years old, and I was 90 pounds in kindergarten, um, and that overweight, uh, obese in childhood, uh, early childhood, led to me being big in, as an adolescent. So I was dressing in husky pants and things in uh, early middle school. And before I could get out of middle school and into high school, I was already in adult size clothes uh, for waist, not for height. And um, it just compounded over the years. That, you know, all that fat and junk food just kind of bioaccumulated, and I, I just kept ballooning up. And when I was in high school. Um, I grew from six two to six foot five in a rather short amount of time, so that kind of helped. And I felt like, okay, I, I may be okay with this size. I was, I was at three hundred pounds, possibly a little bit eclipsing it. And within five years of graduating high school, I had pretty much gone straight to four hundred twenty pounds, uh, six five, four hundred twenty pounds. I was morbidly obese, so it went from overweight to, you know, husky, and then to obese, and then to morbidly obese. Uh, and it just seemed like 
I was in my stuck in the routine of staying inactive and stuck in the routine of eating junk food, no matter what time of day or night it was, I'd be, you know, two, three in the morning, um, eating pop tarts and covered in peanut butter or something, you know, crazy like that. And so it got to be, uh, I got married in 2007 to my wife, Nikki. And two years later, our first daughter, Lily was born in 2009, which I was still 420 pounds. I was, I was big when Lily was born. And a couple of, uh, a couple of years into her life, you know, I had already decided before she was even, you know, born that whenever she was born, we were going to make a change because Nikki was unhealthy. I was unhealthy, very unhealthy. And so Lily was born and I was like, okay, so now I'm going to procrastinate a little bit more because she's an infant. She's not going to know that I eat this junk food. She's not going to know, you know, so over a year old, uh, same thing. I'm like, you know, we just won't eat the junk food around her. And then at two years old, it was okay. We'll just eat the junk food at night when she's asleep. And it was shortly after that, that two to two and a half year old, uh, age frame she was in. I said, to Nikki, I said, I really want to lose weight and get healthy because I, I was seeing pictures of me carrying her and she's a, you know, little girl, but I'm just huge all the way around, just huge. And I remember, uh, you know, thinking she's got two more years and she could be what I was 90 pounds in kindergarten. I was not tall for my age. I was average height, but I was so much bigger than I should have been. Lily was tall for her age. And I said, surely, with the genetics that, uh, you know, I'm, uh, had the propensity for being overweight and my wife, same thing, even, you know, we had always done the diets or whatever, the Atkins and the low carb and the keto and, uh, just calorie counting, measuring all that stuff. And so we decided to start working out and really be mindful of what we ate. And it was, uh, having some success there, dropping some weight. I felt better um, almost immediately. Um, I lost 70 pounds before I ever stepped foot in the gym. Um, I, cause I was walking a lot, you know, just basic walking, riding a bicycle, uh, and, and in a community that was not very welcoming to the, the cyclists. It wasn't uh, sidewalks anywhere. If I rode a bike, it was on the highway. So I did what I had to do in my mind to, to lose the weight. Um, so, okay, so at this point, I'm 350 pounds, which is still obese, still very heavy, but I felt a lot better. Um, you know, started this thinking as I'm in the gym um, every day, and I'm looking at videos on the, um, when I'm doing cardio, something just kind of zoned out, and uh, I'm getting all these new resources, and I saw, you know, different internet personalities that were plant-based, and at the time, I never did down the vegan or the vegetarian thing. I just thought to myself when I was younger, no way I could do that, or no way I would want to do that, and then I learned the, the health implications, the animal implications, uh, the environmental implications and so much is tied to just what we eat it goes outside of ourselves and I thought to myself you know for sure if if one person can make such a big difference in land use for animals and and obviously not killing animals not hurting ourselves and then saving so much water water conservation what if my whole family uh, were to go vegan so shortly right after my daughter was born uh, my daughter was born except uh, my second daughter Ivy was born in September um, two years ago now, uh, 
in November, we went vegan, the whole family and my mom uh, joined included. Uh, so, you know, it's weird. It's like one week we're doing this, you know, keto kind of thing. The next week, boom, we're vegan. And I felt immediately better. I mean, conscience clear, but I also physically, I it was tremendous how much better I felt. Um, so I'm feeling better. The weight just keeps coming off and uh, it eventually settled to losing uh, 210 pounds from 420 to 210. And then uh, I do a lot of running, but then sometimes, especially in the colder season, I'll run two to three days a week, especially here in Nebraska. Um, it does get below zero quite often. Uh, even starting, we've, we've had freezing weather now, and it's, you know, we had snow on Halloween. So I don't run as much, but I spend the extra time in the gym and doing a lot of uh, weightlifting. So my weight fluctuates between, you know, 210 to 220 range, but that's always, it's a yearly thing. And I feel better every year. It's not, you know, like I feel bad when I'm a little bit heavier. It's a good, it's a good feeling. And so now my daughter Lily is eight and my youngest daughter Ivy is two. She's just turned two. And my wife uh, Nikki and I are two very proud vegan parents of plant-based kids. Oh, what a beautiful story. And it really is so inspirational. So you're six foot five, right? Yes. So you're, you're a tall guy. And I, I want to point out for the listeners, because stories like this really are so inspirational and they just get you and then you're like, wow, but change is not linear. And I know listening to your oh. story, whenever you talk to Jason, that you had some hiccups along the way and you had tried to lose weight previously and put some back on. What was it that motivated you this last time to stick with it, to just keep on going despite the times that were challenging? I remember being uh, between three and 400 pounds. I think it was actually 350, but I know for sure it was not as high as 400 and it was, it was higher than 330 because I remember a scale that I used at my mom's house where I still lived at the time before I was married, before Lily was born. I just got out of high school. I was over 330 pounds and I said, I'm going to lose weight. And so I, <clears throat> I worked out a lot and I you know, measured food and I thought I was eating healthy when I was eating a lot of chicken, a lot of fish. I don't even like fish. I kind of had to choke it down. Ugh. And I, I remember I thought I was eating healthy and I got down to 280 and I, I was wearing a 2X shirt instead of a 3X. I was wearing a size 44 pants instead of a 46. And um, it's like I, I kind of hit a I'm doing so good. Let's reward myself with some junk food. And then that like one time a week or, or once every couple of weeks reward turn into every couple of days. And if I went off like for one meal, the whole day I would have junk from morning to night to late night. And that, that, that weight loss from 280 from 350 to 280 shot right back up. And that's when it kept going until I got to 420 pounds. And so that was, it was very hard because I had that taste of success and everybody I had seen, you know, six months before me losing weight to six months after it, everybody's like, wow, you look great. So I had this momentum. And then all of a sudden I thought, what's going to happen when they see me again? I'm even heavier, 50 to 70 pounds heavier than the last time they saw me before I lost weight. And that was really hard. And so, um, when, 
Lily was born, uh, you know, fast forward again, I got married when Lily was born in uh, 2009. That really was my, that even though I didn't start right away, that was the catalyst for change. That was the mental switch that it was not just living for myself. My mom had always been a support and my wife had been an immense support. If I've said I wanted to lose weight, my mom was always pushing me saying, I don't want you to die. I don't want anything to happen to you. And Nikki was so good to accept me just like I was, but um, you know, if, if I said, I don't feel good, she said, well, maybe think about, you know, not eating Burger King three times a day or something like that, which was exactly right. And the, so there was a lot of things put into motion and it had been that way since, you know, I kind of forever, I'd always had support, but because I didn't want to talk about it, none of my friends wanted to talk about it, except I've got one, uh, Ryan, who really was he would say exactly what I needed to hear. He said, dude, you're fat. And I was, and he was the only one saying, everybody else like, well, you're big, but you're tall. Like, well, yeah. Well, you carry your weight well. Well, yeah. All those things didn't help. Thought, you know, maybe it felt a little bit better at the time, but it didn't help. And, and Ryan was, was uh, a big part of that. But really the number one was living for my family and not wanting my daughter to go through the same struggles that I went through. And especially because I know I'm not a trained psychologist, but I do like to read psychology. And in my field of studies, psychology plays a major role in child development. I mean, from the way we learn from our peers, whether it's a, a more knowledgeable adult or a parent, or it's a more knowledgeable peer, it's the, uh, it's the, the idea that we learn by example, by models in our society, how to act in that society. And I didn't want my daughter and, and eventually daughters to see the way I was behaving with food and think that that was the way they needed to emulate that. So that was, uh, that was very important to me to be a good role model for my daughters. Mm. Yeah. I love that. And it makes me think of one of the questions I wanted to ask you, which is about identity. How important do you think it is when somebody is looking to make big changes in their life, whether it's about weight loss or their career or their relationships, how important is it for them to change their identity to the one that they want to be? Because whenever you talked to Jason before, you had said that whenever you were younger, you kind of took on the identity of being the big guy, big red, big bird. That was, that was you. You yeah. joked about it. But obviously... You had to change that. You had to change who you saw yourself to be because that was important for how you wanted your children to perceive you. So, so tell us a little bit about that. That's a really good question. Uh, and I'll tell you one of the coolest things about um, getting to do something like this with you is that I get to reflect back on that because that's something I've thought about in the past and so if you look at old pictures of mine, I had really, really long hair. Um, even considering my height, my hair was, was down to my belt on my pants. And uh, I started growing my hair, and this is kind of off on a tangent, but it gets right back to what you're saying. I started growing my hair. I remember when I got my license, July 16th, 2001, the day before that, I shaved my head because I had a mohawk. I shaved my head because I didn't want a mohawk in my license picture that was going to be there for years. So that's how it's easy for me to remember the last time I had a haircut until um, over 13 years later. So in the middle of this weight loss I was having, um, 
I had lost over a hundred pounds. My hair was still long, but I was like, you know, I feel different. Everybody knows me as the guy with long hair, no matter how big I was or how, you know, I'm getting smaller. Everybody knows that I'm the guy I had really, really long hair. Um, and when I ended up, uh, I, I said to myself, I'm going to do something different. I feel different. I want it to reflect that I am way different, not just, not just big. Cause sometimes if I wore a shirt, I felt was too tight, especially on my chest. I'd let my hair down and it would cover all the way down to my belt front and back. And so it was kind of like a security thing. And so I said, I'm going to cut it. And I went to the gym one day with my hair cut and uh, we donated after we cut, uh, the split ends off just as a side note to tell you how long my hair was that after we cut six inches of split ends off, we still donated over three feet. And then I had another foot to cut off because that was shoulder length was after cutting three feet, it's like it is now. And so I cut a lot of hair and I donated it and I came into the gym and everybody's like, Whoa. And they made this big deal. And I was like, I felt that kind of transformation, not because they had seen me different, but I felt kind of like, Superman put on his uniform. Now he's not Clark Kent anymore. He's ready to do work. So when I cut my hair, it was like, look, all that stuff, all that baggage, all of that emotional security that I had attached to my physical, um, my, to me at the time, my biggest asset, no matter what I looked like, my hair was curly. Everybody, no matter who it was, the pretty girls, the, the older ladies, the guys that were in the band I was into, uh, our fans, they all love my hair. And I say, you know what, if I can let that part go, something that I coveted for so many years and just really embrace me, no matter what my hair's like, I think I'll be moving forward. And I did, and it felt great. And uh, luckily my granddad, who was very conservative, always wanted me to have short hair, cut, parted, and, I, and he kept me like that uh, as a kid. And then when I grew my hair out long, he always made jokes uh, about I should cut it. Uh, and right before he died, he got to see me with short hair, which, which really, I'm glad I did it because he got sick suddenly. I had just cut it. He got suddenly sick, and uh, I, I made the trip, and I saw him, and he passed shortly after that. But my grandmother got to see me with short hair before she passed, and that made me feel really good. But I had I had kind of shed all that, and, and it felt like – I told Jason, and I really believe it, if you feel that you're a runner, you don't have to run a marathon to be a runner. As soon as you do the Couch to 5K program, as soon as you go and run any amount of time, you're a runner. Um, progress is progress, whether you can run 10 minutes at a time or only 25 seconds You know, every week, just try to do better. And I feel that when you make the switch in your mind that you're going to be – that healthy person or healthier person, even if you can't walk, if you can do something with your arms every day, if you can do something, that sets that mental switch into action. And sometimes you need to make a big, big change. And one of my favorite sayings, and I've heard Rich Roll, he didn't coin it, but I heard Rich Roll say it is, you only have to change one thing, everything. And so one of my favorite things about me cutting my hair and, and assuming that was it, it was able to say, okay, that was kind of like the biggest release. Now everything else is easy. And, and to me, it was. I mean, sometimes there's still going to be food struggles and the hiccups where especially if you weigh every day, you, you might see like water weight or water retention fluctuate. And you're like, I don't know what's going on. But it's one of those things if you just stick with it and – the biggest changes you can make are the small ones you do every day. You know, you don't have to go shave your head like I did or anything like that. It's just, to me, that was what was, what was important to me. So maybe it's, uh, 
maybe it's some very, very loose coat or hoodie that you wear every day because you're self-conscious about, you know, the way you look whenever you wear a, a form-fitting, not tight, but just form-fitting clothes. You know, maybe it's take the coat off for a few days and walk and feel how much better you might feel as soon as you see any progress in your body. You're like, you know what? I don't need the big coat for security anymore. I spent years and years before my hair got long enough to cover my body. I spent years and years wearing an unbuttoned overshirt over any t-shirt I had, including the, the school I went to as a marine biology high school. And it had a, a polo shirt with a logo for the uh, uniform. I'd wear a button up shirt unbuttoned over it because I didn't want anybody to see how my body shape was and, and turns out you could see it anyway but in my mind you know it was fine it was slimming but that's to me that the hair was a big switch for me what an amazing symbol of transformation I, I love that story and I'm sure that during that process you weren't thinking of it consciously it's all subconscious you know we do some of these right. things very subconsciously we develop these habits but changing how we think of ourselves, changing our identity, and changing what we believe allows us to achieve. And, and I, really, I really believe that, that we have to actually believe before we can achieve. Because if yeah. we're trying to achieve, but we don't really believe we can do it, we may never get there. So I, I love that you told us this story. And just for the listeners who can't see you, I do want to inform them that you still have quite a bit of hair. You're probably the envy of many men across the country. <laughs> so hair down to your shoulders and a nice full beard. So hair is still important to you, I see. <laughs> well, actually, it's funny. You would think that, but I had short hair and it was cut and I had it styled and I tried to really look good when I was uh, before, when I was still undergrad and I, ha I was a manager of a Napa and I kept my beard a little bit shorter, but full. And um, when I moved here, I just didn't have a, a barber. I've been here for almost two years and don't know anybody to cut my hair. So I just said I would let it grow some more. So it's really just... It's just doing its own thing. That's so cute. You're, well, you are busy. But for any barbers in Lincoln, Nebraska listening, reach out to Josh Bird. <laughs> he may need you. Yeah. Okay. I look like such a bum. <laughs> no, no. You look like a graduate student. But let's just say that. Graduate yeah. student. You're working hard yeah. on, your, on your research. Let's change yeah. gears a little bit because you have mentioned your sure. two daughters, which I know that you're so proud of because I can just see your, your whole yeah. face light up whenever you talk about them. And your older daughter was one of those motivators for you. Tell me about your children. How do you feed those girls and why is that important to you? I'm so fortunate that my wife, um, everything, because I love to read, especially when it comes to things that interest me, nutrition and kids, um, interventions and things like that. And intervention doesn't, as you know, intervention doesn't have to be like you're, you're having this groundbreaking intervention to stop somebody from smoking meth. An intervention can be something where you just do something small every day that could improve a trajectory. And so nutrition interventions, you could add a serving of broccoli every day and to certain kids that could be like a life-changing uh, nutritional intervention, you know, say vitamin A intervention. But um, so my kids, uh, luckily I, I wanted girls and I was fortunate enough to have two girls. Uh, my wife was. And so when I think about my girls eating, my older daughter, Lily, whenever she was born, and she started eating the solid foods, that's when I was really looking at nutrition. And I was doing, you know, the bodybuilding.com thing. I didn't reach out to the very academic uh, papers until a few years later. So 
in my mind, the old adage of eating clean was the, the lean proteins. You know, what we think of as lean protein. It turns out chicken's got just as much saturated fat as beef and all that uh, stuff. But so my daughter, the first few years of her life, Lily, um, first, you know, five, six years of her, five years of her life, um, ate not so much processed junk food, but she ate what I think you would consider like a paleo thing now. She would have some uh, eggs and some chicken and, and steak when we had it, but she wouldn't have, we wouldn't go to McDonald's. She was not a fast food girl because I think at one point she had McDonald's once a month for maybe five or six times ever. Um, she doesn't remember what it tasted like or anything like that. She just remembered she liked the fries. But uh, when it clicked to me that we really needed to change not just what we were or how much we were eating, but what we were eating, because I realized that, you know, when I, when I started really looking to the science, it's not just, yeah, there's some people out there that have the propaganda for, for eating, uh, no meat. And then there's people that have propaganda for you need to eat as much meat and, and cheese and dairy as possible. When you cut through all that, what does the science say? And science is something as a nation we should covet, especially right now when, when science is kind of under attack. And the science says that it's not healthy to eat all these animal products, the, the extra animal proteins and the fats. And whenever I cut that down and, and out, I mean, whenever I, when I cut all the research down to what was most salient for my family, what was most important for us, it was switching from animal foods to plant foods. And that was it. It wasn't about counting calories, especially for, the, for uh, the girls. It wasn't about counting calories. It wasn't about looking at macronutrients to how much fat, carbs, or protein they had because if you eat a variety, you'll be fine. So the girls at first, like I think every parent making a big move, whether it's putting your kids on medication or putting your kids into a diet program, you think, is this the best that we can do? Is this the most smart thing that I can do for my kids? So I did research again, uh, kids and vegetarian diets. And when I say vegetarian, I mean like vegan, not cheese, but, but the research, they call it vegetarian diets. And it's sure it's actually come out that you can feed a kid. It's a, a, a what is it that a appropriately planned vegetarian diet is suitable for all stages of life from pregnancy, prenatal to postnatal and through uh, all stages of life. And so I had no reservation after that little, I mean, I, I talk about, I did research for me for, for weeks and weeks, but for my daughters, I did it for even longer. But as soon as we all made the switch within one day of each other, that was it. Um, Ivy, our two year old has never had meat, has never had cheese uh, or any of that stuff. Uh, Lily was big for, even for her height, Lily's tall. But, uh, and she always has been tall, but for her uh, height, she was still overweight for the first five years of her life. Switched to a plant-based diet. Again, no caloric alterations or anything like that, except what happens naturally with more nutrient-dense and uh, you know, less ca calorie-dense foods. Um, but no measured uh, caloric restriction, and Lily just slimmed right down. Coupled with her getting taller, it just made such a dramatic difference. And she likes to run. She likes to stay active. She never acts like she's tired, uh, nothing like that. And Ivy is just, she's a million miles an hour all the time. You know, she's two years old, so she's going to be active anyway. But coupled with a high-carb vegan diet, and she, uh, one of her favorite foods is avocados, 
So looking at a day to day, what they eat, you know, um, there's still some processed stuff in there. Like say uh, bread is technically processed, but they'll have some uh, like a peanut butter sandwich. That's one of Ivy's favorite foods, but also avocado toast, uh, hummus. Um, they both like avocado and hummus. Uh, Lily likes spinach. Ivy loves green smoothies. So even Lily will, it used to be kind of troublesome to get her to drink a green smoothie, say two or three bananas, five or four or five big handfuls of spinach. If it's her hands, like six or eight handfuls of spinach. Now she drinks it. She loves it. I mean, she likes the cartoon Popeye. And so that's kind of a natural transition. I think kids have been eating Popeye spinach for years. She tried the can, didn't like it, but she still likes fresh spinach. So we roll with it. Um, it can be, it can be kind of cumbersome if there's a, a social gathering, but to get around any kind of thing, like my department in my school, we have picnics uh, sometimes two or three times a year. And at these picnics, you know, everybody brings, we're in Nebraska where the license plate says the beef state and everybody brings all of these different kinds of foods that we don't eat. And so to avoid her feeling the social anxiety, which has never been a problem, but to avoid that, we make whatever we would normally eat, but we make enough to share. So if there's nothing at the party that's accidentally vegan that she can eat, she's still got stuff that we take. And uh, she loves to bake. Lily loves to cook and make her creations and make her own juices and that kind of thing. And Ivy is just up for whatever we've got on the plate. You know, she likes oatmeal um, because Ivy sometimes she's not a picky eater, but she only eats on the schedule she wants to eat on. So if I can get her eating a little bit of oatmeal and she acts like she likes it, I'll go ahead and go back to the kitchen. I'll add extra flax meal to it. Just something to get some more calories and uh, some more nutrients in it. And, um, I think the biggest thing for kids is, as I said earlier, kids learn from their peers uh, and they learn from more knowledgeable adults. So if you have modeling that you eat and drink what you want them to eat and drink, even if there's some resistance, it's still putting that good modeling into their vision of what it looks like to function. If you say Lily or whatever your child's name is, what I'm doing is healthy and you do it. Over time, not a lot of time, that child knows what you're saying to be healthy. Now, hopefully you're telling them what's healthy is really healthy. And that's where it's hard to break habits later. Because if you're raised thinking that a lot of meat and cheese is healthy, it's really hard to break that habit. So I think just instilling what you're doing, even if it doesn't taste what, you know, the coconut ice cream tastes amazing. Well, banana and ice cream might not taste quite as good as coconut ice cream, but it's also 10 times healthier. And so we really just try to get them to eat a lot of whole foods, but on the times that there's going to be, uh, you know, scheduling conflicts, we don't have a lot of time to cook. We try to have some good, quick plant-based things. Now what's quicker than fruit? Not a lot, but there are a lot of garden products out there that are fairly healthy that we can have to implement in those times where, you know, I'm coming home late from a meeting. Lily's just finishing up homework at five o'clock and, what can we do? So there's plenty of times we have to have some ready-made things, but letting kids be kids is fine, but not to their own detriment. Say goodbye. 
to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. I mean, so that old adage of kids want to have kids food, that's true. You can look at some plant-based variations on those kids foods, but if you're saying, well, kids want to have kids food, so even though I want to be healthy. I'll stop and buy McDonald's once in a while. Well, there are plenty of better places to stop and buy, and they don't have to have McDonald's to be happy and to be a kid. That's, you know, in, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's wonderful. And it sounds like those girls are very vibrant and active and that you're doing a fabulous job raising them. Let's talk for a second about school food. We know that there's many children in this country that they eat over 30% of their calories from food, from school, I mean, also from food, (laughs) from food to school. (laughs) And it may not necessarily be the healthiest. So what is your opinion on what's currently served at schools and how do you navigate this? Because I'm assuming your oldest child is going to school. Yes, she's in the third grade, and uh, that's a good, and that's a very a specific interest I have too. And if you follow Dr. Neil Bernard and the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, the PCRM, I love those guys and girls. Um, they're really doing a lot to push healthy foods in the school and in the hospitals, which I think is so important. You know, the people who need it most, kids and sick people, need the healthiest food they can have as much as they can have. It's sad that I go into my daughter's school or any school. And that includes from where we were at in North Carolina to now in Nebraska, and you see milk advertisements everywhere. You know, the USDA has two obligations. The first obligation is to make sure their farmers are making the money that, you know, they're kind of deemed, uh, you know, privileged to. It's not taking anything away from farmers, no matter what you grow, or what your crop is, it's a lot of work and a lot of stress. However, the USDA is also supposed to advocate for the people it serves, uh, not just the farmers, but the consumers. And when you have that conflict of interest, you tend to serve the one that has the more pulling power. And it technically is the people. We don't have to buy it. But whenever they have so much money lobbied towards putting milk in every school, my daughter cannot even have a soy milk from her school unless she's got a doctor's note. Um, So... We're lucky at the school we're at, which we love our school, uh, her school. We're lucky at the school we're at. They have a salad bar every day. But because of the nutrition guidelines, which are set in place by the USDA, they have to give her a cup of cheese, which is closed. But they have to give her a cup of cheese to go with that salad. She throws a cup of cheese away because she knows not to eat it, and she doesn't want to eat it anyway. It's not like I have to tell her, Lily, you can't have this burger or hot dog or any of that. She she doesn't want it. 
but she had plain salad for lunch uh, when they don't have the black bean burgers they sometimes have, or sometimes they have a falafel and they have it on their calendars. They're really good about, they have a vegetarian option these certain days. And on those days that they are true vegan, not just, you know, with cheese added, she certainly has that, the black bean burgers and the falafel. And it used to be a bean burrito, but now they put cheese on it. So can't, she doesn't get that one anymore. But navigating these things um, is tricky because some kids, no matter what, and it's sad to say that even if it's an unhealthy school lunch, whether it's the only food they get, it could still be the healthiest food they get. They may, that may be the closest thing to an unprocessed meal they have at all. So there are schools, Lincoln or Brooklyn public schools that have gone now to a meatless Monday uh, as of last week, which is fantastic. But there is also a, a, a public school district in New York that has gone completely vegetarian. Uh, five days a week, they, they do a completely uh, vegetarian meal. Now you can get cheese still because it is what they, you know, refer to modern day vegetarianism was included with cheese, but every option they have, you can have uh, without cheese as well, which I think is phenomenal. That's the step in the right direction because if kids and families want to do whatever they want to do when they're not at school, it's not our place to say until it gets abusive. It's not our place to say that's not good practice because for them it might be. That's not to say that a vegan diet isn't for everybody because I believe it is. If you have the, uh, if, if you're in a first world country, a vegan diet is appropriate for you. If you're in a third world country, that may not be the case. Um, I did spend two months living in India this year and teaching, um, at a school that was designated for kids from the slums. It's a completely vegetarian school. And most of these, because of the district we were in, these were um, very conservative Jains. And in that religion, most of them do not eat meat. So these kids that are from the slums, even though here we don't want our daughters to have the ghee, which is clarified butter, because we know the health implications of having butter, saturated fat from animal products and the protein. But in India, especially where we were at, that was a necessary component of their diet because they needed the calories that they just didn't have enough rice and enough bananas to make up. So getting back to your question about school lunches, I, it's hard to navigate sometimes. We are lucky that our daughter, Lily, she might not be happy about having salad here and there. We're willing to pack her lunch every day. And uh, up until this year, we've packed her lunch every single day for school. But now she's getting more into that. She likes having the salad because even though it's not what her peers at school are eating, she's eating a school lunch with her peers. And that's very important to her. So that being said, we're lucky to have her willing to flex like she is because there's no point in complaining about what the school has or doesn't have until we can change the system. It doesn't matter. Um, so many schools have, you know, they say that I have to give you this cup of cheese with salad because you have to have the nutrients. I have to give you this milk with your food because you have to have the nutrients. Even if you don't drink it, I've got to give it to you. So you have, you have to have it. Um, but on the same breath, they say you have to have this corn dog. You have to have this mini corn dog. You have to have this processed hamburger patty. Then, in, you know, when the World Health Organization says these are carcinogens that are equivalent to cigarettes and smoking, why are we giving them to our kids? Why do we have lunch meat in schools and in high-quality daycares? Organic, grass-fed, free-range, it doesn't matter. It's not good for the kids, and it's not good for our sick in the hospital. So I don't understand 
why we have it when we know and the science is out, it's, it's there, it says that it's not good for us. Meat is probable carcinogen. Processed meat is a carcinogen. It's been linked to cause cancer. Why do we give it to kids? It doesn't make any sense to me. So that's something I'm very passionate about. And part of my research is um, we have something coming up next year. We really want to examine the human microbiome, the gut bacteria that influences our health. And there's some good science out there when you compare a plant-based diet to a uh, standard Western diet. But as a nutrition intervention, that's where I really want to see how can we show how much better a kid's health can become when you integrate more fruits and vegetables and less animal product. And so I would love, I don't know if it'll ever happen or if I'll see it happen, but I would love for public schools to have vegetarian meals available every day in every school district because kids, no matter what your social economic status, no matter what your resources at home, kids need healthy food. That's all kids in the world. And it, it just blows my mind that we have advertising of milk on the walls in every school. And uh, we have, you know, yeah, sure. They've got a sign up that shows eat all these good foods and it's got carrots and cucumbers, and zucchini, then fish, then a ham hock, then a chicken leg, and then, you know, got milk posters everywhere. Uh, you know, so it's a big, it's, we've got a long ways to go, but thanks to people like Dr. Neil Bernard and people like yourself that are putting this information out there for, so mothers and fathers can be informed they can make better decisions, you know, maybe facilitate, maybe they can bring something up to their local school to have vegetarian options sometimes, you know, even just to plant the seed of, Hey, if you're going to have this stuff, why don't we have this as an option? It doesn't say you had to get rid of it because I know some kids are, would rather be hungry than eat this stuff if it's a one day a week thing, but have it as an option, you know? Mm -hmm. Very well said. I, I love that. And I agree. I, I think that, our schools should serve the healthiest food because those are our children. We would die for them and yeah. we want them to be the healthiest ever. But I also think, you know, you and me, we've, our eyes have been open to a whole nother world and we grew up in the world where milk was king, right? We grew right. up in a world where milk is seen as like, dude, if you don't drink three servings a day, your bones are going to disintegrate. You know, like what's going to yeah. happen? It's going to be, it's going to be awful. Like bad things are going to happen, you know? Yeah. And a few years ago when I started just gently talking to my patients about dairy, there were still a lot of people that were like, Oh wow, really? Like really surprised, but I've seen a shift. So I think more and more parents now are starting to realize that maybe the benefits of dairy have been a bit overblown and we've been a little bit brainwashed, even though it sounds like a conspiracy theory. So yeah. now when I bring it up, I'm still very gentle in my approach. But now when I bring it up, people aren't <coughs> quite so shocked. They're like, yeah, you know, I've been reading this stuff and I agree because my child has constipation or tummy pain, lactose intolerance, acne, whatever it is, so many problems are happening with our yeah. exposure to milk. And I also agree too that, you know, we have to, we have to be realistic that there really are some children out there that they're not getting enough calories period. And so whatever yeah. calories we can get into them is better than nothing. And I also think that overall we're headed in the right direction. It's just going to take a little bit more time, some more minds open, some more eyes open before we can get there. So thank you for that. Yeah. I want to ask you about what, do you feel is the habit that you are most proud of? How did you achieve it? How did you develop it? And how do you maintain it? So I always 
think every day, what am I going to do today? Sometimes there are days that I don't want to run and I don't want to lift weights. Some days it's necessary that I have an off day, whether it's because of more sore than usual or because of travel uh, certainly happens. Um, when I went to India for two months, I ran, but because it was uh, eclipsing 115 degrees as we were leaving, I was running less, but I was still trying to do something. But for the last, uh, well, for sure, for the last four years, at least four days a week, I have done something as a, a workout and not just talking about walking. Cause I think that would count. I'm not disparaging anybody who wants to walk workout because that's fantastic. That, that steady state cardio. But when I say workout, I mean either, you know, do bodybuilding exercises or run. And so it used to be, I just body build. Uh, I just, I would just do bodybuilding workouts um, five, six, seven days a week. And after a couple of years, I wanted to get into running and I'd start kind of mixing it up, doing half and half then it got to be for a while. I just love running so much and I could see the miles. I was like building miles and I went from running one mile to three miles to 10 miles in less than six months. And uh, so I felt like I was really positive about that. So it really just depends on what I'm excited about, but I really every day uh, on, on a weekly basis, think about what am I going to do this week or today, you know, and I plan it the night before if I'm going to get up like this morning, I got up at 5.30 and I was at the gym at 5.45 and I worked out until 7.30, came home and, and took my daughter to school. And um, so for me, because food can be inconsistent sometimes, it's always going to be plant-based, but it may not be the healthiest because we may be on the run or something like that. But for me, the, a big habit to form is what are you going to do every day? to stay active and that just helps me. And I even noticed the way my mindset is, if I work out in the morning, it's not just feel better, cause I think that's a given, but if I work out in the morning, there's a mental shift of, okay, so when I'm looking later at, you know, Lily wants to make donuts for her friends down the street, not donuts, but cupcakes or donuts or anything, I can say, oh, I'm not gonna have one. I worked out this morning and even though I could probably not get hurt by it, I've already got the ball rolling. I don't want to stop it with a cupcake. So the more I keep active on that, it's not that I, it's not like it used to be where I had to push myself to work out. Now I get excited about working out. It's been like that for a couple of years, but it's always exciting to see what can I do? What kind of exercises can I do today in the gym or how far can I run? Or if I'm not going to run far, what kind of time can I get out of what kind of time elapsed? Can I get out of this uh, run? And so to me, I'm really proud of um, the exercises that I, I, I can stay consistent doing. That being said, one of my, you know, things about I'm gone a lot for school. I mean, I'm here, but I'm at my office at the university or I'm in my office where I'm at now in the house. And so a lot of times I try to have to treat this all the time like a job. So I'm in school sometimes more than five days a week, but I stick, try to stick to, I work hard Monday through Friday. So I have extra time at nights and weekends to do stuff with the family. Then it comes to Saturday or Sunday, especially this past summer, I was teaching and doing school and doing research and it comes to Sunday morning and I go out on a two and a two and a half hour run. And my wife, you know, I had to go earlier because I get home and to her, she is incredible to her credit. But she'll be aggravated. She'll, you know, we get these two days together, fully two days together, and you're out running. And I have to really focus on me 
as selfish as it sounds, and I think everybody should be a little selfish in regards of keeping yourself healthy, but I have to focus on me so I can be the best I can be for them. Mm -hmm. So if it takes me running from eight to 10 or 1030 in the morning, rather than being up and ready to leave the house to go to you know a pumpkin patch in the fall at nine o'clock a.m. If it delays us an hour to an hour and a half, by the time I get back and get showered, that's better than me missing that workout or messing my routine up and it can put me in a foul mood. I try not to take it out on anybody, but you know, bad moods can spill over just your attitudes, just the way you say something. And so for me to be the best me, I have to have that workout routine. If I miss a day, fine. But if I, I, I don't miss two days, if I go two days in a row without doing something, I really, unless I'm sick, something's off. And I, you know, it reflects that in the way I even carry myself. I just don't feel great. So um, I think for me personally, it's, it's the building and creating routine. And then once you create it and you look forward to it, the sustainability kind of happens naturally. It's a natural progression of, of perpetuating that habit. Mm -hmm. And for you, it's not if. There's no if you're going to exercise. It's when. You know that it's a right. given that most days of the week you're going to get some form of physical activity in, and then you just have to decide what it's going to be and when, when you're going to be able to fit it in. So I love that because you've already pre-decided. You don't have to battle with yourself of like, eh, you know, I want to or not to want to. And I, I also love how you talked about how important it is that we take care of ourselves and we are able to come at life with our own joy. Because whenever we do take care of our mental health and our bodies, we actually give back more. It doesn't seem like it because it seems like we're taking, we're being selfish, but really right. it's being selfless because the more we're able to be happy, we can spread that happiness to other people. So thank you so much for that reminder. Yeah, so you. there's a, a lot of people out there that may feel stuck or they don't know where to begin, whether it's individually for themselves or maybe mom and dads out there that know that maybe they're not in the best habits right now with fast food and junk foods and they want to make a change for themselves and, with, and for their families. Where do you suggest that they start? As far as... Uh, as far as interpersonal um, between family members and intrapersonal, I-N-T-R-A, within yourself, intrapersonal changes, you can happen just by thought patterns changing. You can start thinking about, you know, I'm not saying procrastinate, but if you want, if you're the kind of person that takes it slow, start thinking Friday, today, Saturday, tomorrow. Start thinking about what you can do for the next week or in the next week. If you're the kind of person that likes a slow transition, we all know kids that whenever you say, okay, it's time to clean up, they spaz out. But we also know kids that those same kids, if you say, okay, five minutes and we clean up, you have that transition time and they can kind of move into it better. So if you're the kind of person that was like that as a kid and you need that transition time, don't gorge yourself knowing you're going to start a diet on Monday, but take it easy start the diet on Monday, start the, and I'm not saying a calorie cutting diet, but start whatever lifestyle change you're going to start, whether it's ex exercising and working out, whether it's, you're going to make sure you have one thing different day. You're going to make sure you have one green smoothie a day. Um, whether you're going to have one salad a day, start it when you say you're going to start it. If you don't do it that day, do it the next day, but don't keep putting it off. 
there are some people that say, you know, don't start tomorrow, start right now. I'm not wired that way. I'm wired in the start tomorrow. I can start pretty quick, but if it's three o'clock in the afternoon and I learn, you know, Dr. Gregor says, you need to have parsley four times a day. And I look and I'm like, well, I'm not going to have it four times a day because I'm not going to go eat a handful of parsley, but I will tomorrow. That's in my mind frame. So I can totally relate to people that need a little bit of extra time. Um, but just know that the quicker you start, whatever it is, or the quicker you stop whatever you're doing that's bad for you, the better you'll be. And the more service you can be to those around you or to those that you normally serve. Um, that being said, my suggestion would be to research. You don't have to learn how to read research data. You don't have to learn what Pearson correlations are, but you do have the responsibility to yourself to go to a source and do some research. You know, everybody knows how to Google. Google, you can research using Google. If you think you're doing something unhealthy, Google it. Find out from several sources, not just the first one. You know, kind of aggregate the data and look and see, okay, if five of these reputable websites or studies say what I'm doing isn't healthy and one says that eating, eating eggs is healthy, you're probably better off not eating the eggs, you know? So stop eating the eggs on the day you say you're going to stop. If you have four eggs left in the carton, eat them. If you want to eat them, say, you know, don't, you don't want to throw them away. If you don't want to give them to somebody, eat them. But after that, don't buy anymore. Same thing could be said for smoking or anything else. You want to finish the pack you're on. Yeah, of course it'd be better if you threw the 15 of the 20 pack away. Right. But if you're not going to do that because you're wired to not waste the money, stop smoking when you finish the pack. So that's, that's my suggestion is, you know, I try to meet people where they're at. And when we have discussions in certain classes, I'm in some seminars and it always, no matter what concept we're talking about, I can always relate it to either food politics and policy or nutrition sciences and kids. And the milk thing was one that really made me think of that. I'm kind of, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to be pushy and I want to meet people where they're at. And they say, well, we drink milk five days a week in our house or seven days a week. I'm like, well, that's okay. Well, have you ever thought about drinking it three days a week or four days a week? Drink it every other day. See if you feel any better. Because if they're telling me that they have IBS or they have some kind of, you know, dysbiosis in their gut. Well, it seems to me that what you put in your gut would have a dramatic effect on that. So maybe we should look at changing it. I'm not a medical doctor. You know, I, I think that, um, that a lot of things that we uh, can uh, attribute to Western medicine for treating acute illnesses is great. And we're the leaders in the world, but a lot of the things with preventative, you know, in car terms, we say preventative maintenance, changing your oil. Well, if you're not, doing preventative maintenance for yourself, then you're going to have to see a mechanic or a surgeon to get something fixed. If you're lucky enough to survive whatever life or cardiac event or cancer, you know, so change should happen fast and it should be on your own terms. So if you can make those two things happen at the same time, that intersect happens. You're, you say what you're going to do and you do what you say, but you do it when you say you're going to do it. That's the intersect that can really lead to long-term uh, commitment, I think, at least for me, that's how my, that's how my mind works. Mm -hmm. I love that advice. And also just as a reminder that your evolution, the change in your body and your mind has taken place over several years. It's not something right. that happens overnight. And the most important thing is to start 
somewhere. It doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to have every single thing figured out. You didn't at the beginning. You started with a different approach. As you learned more information, you integrated that. And step by step by step is what led you to where you are now with how you eat, how you live, and how you think, which is really important for people to remember is that you don't have to change everything overnight. And also, it's okay to change your mind when you start and tweak things. And it may take a while before you get to that ultimate goal. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's important for people to know is even when you have success, if you only want to lose 20 pounds, I feel like anybody's going to be successful in this country. We know how to lose weight better than any other country in the world. We don't know how to keep it off. If 5% of diets are successful or 5% of people that, that attempt diets are successful and 95 aren't, that shows we know how to diet. We can diet the fat off. We just can't keep it off. So it's not a all or nothing scenario. Very few things in life are as all or nothing as they seem. You know, we have this idea of fear and consumption that if you don't drink milk, you won't have strong bones. So be scared and buy milk. If you don't eat meat, you won't get protein. So be scared, buy meat, you can build muscle. When most of the people who asked us, any, I say us as the plant-based community, where do we get our protein? They have no problem of protein deficiency. We don't have a problem of protein deficiency, but they actually get too much protein. They get a little bit too much everything else as well. And so my evolution did take place over years, but I wanna make it very clear that it's still taking place. Every time I get a chance to read, every time I get a chance to watch a Dr. Greger video, Michael Greger from nutritionfacts.org, every time I get to see Dr. Neil Bernard, um, you know, and, and even going past that and going to psychology, um, you know, we see so many things that we can learn from each other. Um, and again, even though I'm in, the, uh, I'm in the scientific field of human development, I still am a student of the game, so to speak. I still learn and read, and there's still things that surprise me. Just as funny as it is to us now that we see people that are surprised that milk isn't healthy and you actually lose calcium in your bones from drinking it because it leaches calcium out of your bones to kind of you know equalize the acidity in your blood. People are surprised by that, and, and it's kind of funny to us. But there's stuff that I read that I'm real surprised, and I'll go to my advisor and say, hey, did you know this? And turns out, you know, she wrote part of the theory on it. You know, it's amazing. We can all be students of the game, and it's, uh, it's such a – it's a linear process. You know, the problem is dieting is kind of circular. You, you start eating right or, you know, healthier and you lose weight and then you get feeling better and then you kind of start going back in old habits and just goes back and forth. But if you learn linearly, you know, what do we do now? Okay, well, let's go here. It might be up and down with weight loss or the way you feel, but you're moving forward and you're not coming back around to the way you were. And that's the most important thing. And to always have a drive, an intrinsic drive to want to learn how to do better and how to feed your family better Listening to podcasts, you know, we think in traditional terms of, I need to learn how to do this. And if I don't have a degree, or if I'm not a doctor, or if I'm not a psychologist, then what do I know? But that actually, you know, people can inform themselves well beyond what traditionally was thought of as appropriate or possible even. So learn as much as you can. There are plenty of good Facebook support groups. There are plenty of good books like Dr. Greger's book, How Not to Die. It's very scientific, but it's written in a way that anybody who can read can really understand what's important. So 
you know, learn how to be flexible with your thought patterns and really just crave knowledge. And you'll, you know, there's no quick, simple answer. If there was, it'd just be to eat plants, but you know, Oh, that's, that's the one I give all the time. You are just a wealth of knowledge and advice, wonderful advice. And I'm just going to add to that and never give up because even if there's people out there that have tried to reach their goal 10, 15 times and they get close, but they never get to where they want to get, you can always try again, try again, try again, and don't give up. Absolutely. So Josh, I'm really, really excited for your future. You touched a little bit about um, your research that you want to do, and I am very excited in a few years when you are done to see what you come up with and what we learn from you. So thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I feel so lucky that I heard about you and that I got the opportunity to talk to you and also to share all of your wisdom with my listeners. Where can people stay in touch with you or learn more about you? Uh, so I'm on Facebook. You can search Josh Bird, B-Y-R-D. I think if you type it into facebook.com slash D-T-H-P-R-O-O-F-S-S, I used to have a black Camaro and the license plate was death proof. So I, I had that. But uh, on Instagram, I'm at that vegan dad. And anytime somebody has any questions, I'm always, I always have time to answer some quick questions. And if it's more in depth and you email me, I will reply back. I just have to read through it and kind of process it. I don't want to give anybody anecdotal advice. It's not backed by science. So I really take my time and I respond very mindfully to any, any questions or comments I get. So thank you for having me on here. It was a pleasure. Oh, I love that. And, and I'm just so grateful that there's people like you out there. So thank you once again for being on the show. And I can't wait to hear more about what you do in the future. And I hope that you have a plantastic day. Thank you. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I look forward to having you back again next week. A very special thank you to the band Rocket Surgeons for permission to use the broccoli song. To find out more about the Rocket Surgeons, please visit their website at rocketsurgeonsband.com or Facebook at facebook.com forward slash rocket surgeons music. Also, for more information on my work, you can find me at facebook.com forward slash veggiefitkids, or you can email me at veggiedoctor, V-E-G-G-I-E-D-O-C-T-O-R at veggiefitkids.com. Sharing is caring. Please share, rate, and review my podcast, and contact me if you have ideas for future episodes. Thank you once again, and have a plantastic day. We're having broccoli. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. 
Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.